Turn with me to Luke 2. Such a story that has been read time and time and time again and can become so familiar that it can almost take a place of complacency, a place of, yeah, okay, that's great to hear it again. It's Christmas, I guess. But yet, such an incredible truth, especially in the midst of darkness of your heart, a light can shine through right now. Because of this child, born in such a humble way. If you need a Bible, uh, John is uh, bringing one around. Raise your hand. He'll get a Bible to you. Luke 2. Thank you, John. Are you with me? It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Good timing. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. As I read this passage, is there an awe that overcomes you? Is there a trembling that comes to your heart when you think about this moment? Um, I'm, I dare say that when that gentleman knocked on the door of Set Free Ministries at the moment they prayed, and he said, I'm giving you a million bucks, I got a feeling they were in awe, and they might have even trembled a little, going, wow, at this moment, really? Why doesn't that happen in our lives? I, w I have 16 grandchildren. Some are adopted into our family. absolutely love them. And I've got grandchildren from four years old to 20. So my big challenge is, at Christmas time, I want to kind of share something with them that, um, that they all can relate to. And they all take hold of. And so this particular Christmas, I was praying and just saying, Lord, I, I, I'd, I'd love to write a story, or if you'd give me a story. And uh, I'm driving down the road from Meyer, and I heard a story on, on the radio. And I said, that's it. It's the story of the donkey in the well. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but the story goes like this. There was a farmer who had a very old donkey, and that donkey happened to fall into the well. Well, the farmer tried to get the donkey out, 
and with avail any effort, could not get the donkey out. And so the farmer decided to, um, to bury the donkey. He's old anyways, and the well is dry, so I might as well just go ahead and bury the donkey. So he calls the people from the community, and they all bring their shovels, and they start shoveling into the well. Well, the donkey was making a bunch of noise at first, and then it quieted down. Well, the farmer thought, okay, he's buried. So he just, and you know, I mean, okay, anybody got an animal? You know how you're kind of attached to that animal, how difficult that can be to bury an animal? It's not easy. And so anyways, so the farmer kind of took his time, but then he looked over the edge, and to his surprise, the donkey wasn't buried. And he saw the donkey doing something that he did not expect. So the community people would throw the dirt down, donkey would shake off the dirt off its back, and it would step up on the pile. And it would keep stepping up and keep stepping up and keep stepping up until they got all done and the donkey walked out of the well. Now, I say that story because some of us, I dare say all of us, have experienced dirt being thrown on us in life. We've had experiences in life that have, um, that have absolutely just seemed to desire to bury us. Am I right? Am I right? Yes. And, and just like that donkey who was trying to be buried by his owner, so at times in our lives, going through situations, we have felt as though life has buried us. And I think it's, I want to be honest with you, I, I think it's that that stops us from seeing the amazing truth, listen to me, that you're sitting in the hearing of today. That a baby was born in a manger. Was there cow dung around him? Yes. Was it dirty? Yes. There was no room for him. That's a huge thing. Now listen to me. It's a huge thing because he came into the world that he created and the world did not know him. Just like some of us today, maybe even in this place, really don't know the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who created you. Now, why is that? Well, I have two things that I thought of, um, of why our hearts are not arrested today by this, by this reading, by our, why we don't tremble in the midst of it. First of all, it's because of the hiddenness in the divine in the seemingly failure of the flesh or the physical. You see, in all, in all aspects on this earth, Jesus' life appeared to be a failure. He was born nothing. He rejected any kind of sense of, of uh, dignity in respect to even kingship. If you remember, they, um, 
uh, they, had, uh, they had tried to make him king. And he walked away from it. I don't want it. In every aspect, in his physical life, it appeared as though he was a failure. In fact, Oswald Chambers says this, God called Jesus Christ to to what seemed absolute disaster. His life was an absolute failure from every standpoint except God's. But what seemed to be a failure from man's standpoint was triumph from God's standpoint because God's purpose is never the same as man. Let me touch into our hearts on this. Aren't we drawn to success? I, uh, I don't necessarily watch AGT on TV, like the whole show, but I'll be sometimes drawn to uh, some of the clips on YouTube. And there's one reason with that, because I love underdogs. I love to see somebody who seems to be a nobody made into a success. There's a story that comes back out of uh, 2019 that um, a guy by the name of Cody Lee came on AGT. Uh, His mother told uh, everybody that he was born blind and autistic. And uh, and at a, a young age, he was drawn to the piano and to singing. And she realized that, uh, that he was going to be an uh, entertainer. Now, that seems impossible. I mean, what Ryan does is great on the piano. But just think if Ryan was, uh, was blind uh, and, uh, and autistic, which is another strike against that, although autistic people are very intelligent. And so Cody ended up winning that season. And he's gone on to be a, uh, a success. We're drawn to that. We're drawn to that. But Jesus shunning the light of success. And even, like I said, when people rebelled against him and tried to make him king, he uh, pushed back at that. He hid himself from the crowd. Because his path from the cradle to the throne was not through human exaltation, but through a willing sacrifice of the cross. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 18, 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets of the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And then he describes in detail exactly what's going to happen. I find it interesting that Jesus also told us the same thing. That our lives are called, if we truly want to be a follower of him, that we will not be like the world, gleaming for success. Our success is not based on our accomplishments on this earth. Our success is based on our following Jesus. He said this about the Pharisees. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give life as an example. Listen, if there's someone here today that has, is looking back at their life and they're saying, you know, I didn't get a good shake. My life has has um, gone in a direction that I did not anticipate, and I am, 
I'm angry about that, and I'm, and I'm bitter about that, and that has run my life. Jesus wants you to know that even though dirt has been piled on you in this earth, he is the one that can overcome the dirt and that you actually will not be buried by those things in your life, but you actually become on top of them. Because this is the second thing. And, 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 and this is, you know, if you can see Jesus um, past his physical fail, failure, then you can see him also as, uh, as the hidden king in the wrappings of flesh. He is the king. But he comes in such a humble state that people don't see him. You know, it's kind of like David. He is, David was a type of him because David was a shepherd. And even his own father didn't even regard him as somebody to be worthy of presenting before Samuel because he was so worthless. And yet he was the one chosen by God to be king over Israel. And so, <clears throat> in the, there's a song that is played around um, Christmas or around Easter. It says, it, it, the title is, Were You There? It lays out a historical truth of the cross, the grave, and the resurrection. The writer begins his chorus with this statement. Sometimes it causes me to tremble. 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 King, born in a cradle. God of all, in hay. Sovereign, with cow manure around him. I want you to think about that. He knows. He knows. He understands how you feel. He understands your heart. He understands the thing. Now, trembling itself is usually associated with fear, but not always. I remember at Anna and Nathan's wedding, a couple that used to go here, uh, that she sat trembling as I was uh, marrying them. Some of it was because it was cool outside, but not all of it. That young lady was excited. Trembling is usually associated with the presence of something greater than ourselves. But in a narcissistic world, where we believe that we are the center of the universe, we don't tremble at anything anymore because we focus on ourselves. As you think about that, what I found is interesting is that, and I, I think that it was God-given that Dave uh, spoke uh, before I preached, because what's happening uh, in our world, there are two realities that happen in our world. Uh, there's an objective world, which is the view of truth or perceived truth that each person holds. Um, and you'll know your objective world by by the way that you're moved and the, what you believe. But there's also another world, and that's the narrative world. The world that is defined by what's really happening in life around you and, and how things are worked out. 
the reason we don't tremble at the cradle uh, is because we live in a society that believes that it can take an objective truth and we can make it subjective, or in other words, we can create our own truth. And so we create, we try to create our own narrative. And it's happening all around us. But in the midst of it, there is, just like Dave described, there's a time in life in which the objective world touches the narrative world. And it's when an answer to prayer happens. I remember my own life that I had a friend of mine that had cancer. And, um, uh, and I was driving home from work one night, and I kind of hit my steering wheel and said, we got to pray for Rudy. And so I called my nephew and I said, get a pe- people together, we got to pray for Rudy. That night we prayed for him through the midnight hour. The next morning at 6 a.m., I was called and said, the doctor has called the, the family, Rudy's going to die. And so, um, so I just, I prayed, and he did not die. In fact, this week, I was at the market downtown, and I saw him. There's a time where the objective world and the um, narrative world come together and touch, and the union of that is Jesus Christ. The union of that is Jesus Christ. He touches into our world. He touched into Dave's world. Don't you find it interesting that when Jesus Christ came in the fullness of time, it was during the height of the mythological gods, the Greek mythological gods and the gods like Diana and others of the Greek. And in the midst of it, in the midst of it, um, here comes Christ. And so throughout the years, and maybe even some of us here today, have become critics of it because there's been so many mythological deaths and resurrections, life of Christ, that have happened um, in these other gods. And it's kind of mixed it up. Um, in fact, I was talking to uh, Josiah about this, and he was telling me about, was it Buddha? And how much um, Buddha life paralleled Christ's life. And... And so there's some people that say, you know, it's the same. Like somehow that is, um, that is combined and that has held together. Um, and, and so Christ is a myth. But this is the problem. There is no human being on earth that has so much supportive evidence to his life. Alex, you and I will never have as much written about our lives as Jesus did. There's over 5,000 manuscripts and secular manuscripts on the reality of the human life of Christ. And that's where it touches. That's what we've got to deal with. This one who was born in a cradle, who lived a life on this earth, who died, whose sole purpose was to go to a cross because of your sin, because of mine. And the grave is empty. And the grave is empty. Well, I was preparing for this message and I was trying to kind of get an idea of how to drive this idea home to you guys. 
And God brought me to a book of Habakkuk. I don't know if you know the Old Testament. If you can even follow the Old Testament, you're welcome to try to find it with me. Um, but Habakkuk is a, uh, is a um, minor prophet. And um, you're welcome to go with me there, but... Habakkuk was a prophet in uh, 607 B.C., two years before Babylon started its siege of Jerusalem. And taking, uh, yeah, taking both Jerusalem and Judah captive, he was an employed prophet, paid to speak God's truth to the people of Judah. Just like today, no one was listening, and the evil was growing as fast as moss on a tree. And so he cried out to God. Now, I don't, I don't know if you can relate to this. If you have cried out to God and, do, and you don't feel like he's answered you. Anybody in the room? This does not feel like he's answered you? Yeah. This is, this is Habakkuk. So you got Habakkuk. Uh, starting with um, verse 2 of chapter 1. says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so the justice is perverted. Have you felt this way? I have too. I'll be honest with you. There's been times where it feels like the Lord has not answered my prayers. Can I strike into your heart a minute? Does that mean he doesn't exist? Now, wait a minute. Somebody in here is arguing with you. They're saying, wait a minute. I thought this God was a God that was supposed to help us. I thought this God was a God that was supposed to. His presence was supposed to be among us. Amen? Listen to the next words. Listen to his answer. In verse 5 it says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your day that, would, that you would not believe, even if I, were to, if I were told you, if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who will sweep across the whole earth to seize the dwelling, not their own. Now listen, this is two years before this happens. Habakkuk is crying out to God. He is seemingly getting no answers. But God is saying, it's coming. It's coming. He has a second uh, complaint about God seeing evil. In, 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 the, uh, in verse 12, I won't go through that. You can read it if you would like on your own. And God answers him again. And he says this, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. 
it will certainly come. So Habakkuk has this answer. It has not happened yet. So how does he respond? How does he respond? Go with me to the end of the chapter if you're, if you're following. Uh, end of, um, excuse me, chapter 3. And um, I, want, I want you to hear something. Starting at the 16th verse. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no grapes on the vine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like the feet of a deer. He will enable me to tread on heights. Unbelief says... If God doesn't answer me what I ask him immediately, he does not exist. Belief says, I trust the Lord and I'll wait on him. Three things that Habakkuk did here that are so important. First of all, in the first verse, he says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered, my decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. His physical response validated his heart's response to God's word. He believed God's word to the point that he believed that it already had happened. A heart pounding is a violent emotional response to what he heard. Lips quivering, he was shaking with fear, and bones were decaying. His strength was taken away. That was before the answer. He believed God's word so much that he was willing, he was, he was surrendering to the truth of it even when he didn't see it. The second thing he did was he did not need to see if, uh, a circumstance change. He did not see, need to see it. He said this, he said, though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the vine, Though there is no olive crops fail, the fields produce no food, and there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stall. He didn't need to see the change. God didn't have to prove himself to him. He believed him. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength, the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Is God in your life God? Or have you created him to something of your own device? If he's God, then as you read this word, as a baby in a cradle, you're in awe as though you just got a million dollars and you tremble because you realize the implication of why he was there. 
He was there for you. He was there for me. And then the third thing that Habakkuk did was he just he rejoiced in the Lord. You know, I don't think there is a greater act of rejoicing of worship than somebody who's in the midst of their circumstances. It's unchanged. Aren't you with me? Because your circumstance is unchanged right now. Is that right? It's unchanged. And you have believed, some of you have believed it will never change, right? I mean, come on. A little honesty in church. Can you stand up and worship him? Can you stand up and sing to him? Because only the believers can sing. Only the redeemed can sing. You can't sing if you're not redeemed. Because the redeemed, the redeemed believe the word so much it causes them to tremble. The redeemed doesn't need to see a change in their circumstances to believe that God is the sovereign over their circumstances. And the redeemed will worship Jesus no matter what. Even Job said himself, even if you slay me, yet will I hope in you. You see, as mud was slung on Jesus his whole life on this earth, as they tried to bury him like the, like the farmer was going to bury the old donkey, he kept shaking it off. And he's saying to you today, in me you can shake it off. You can shake it off. You can shake off the bitterness. You can shake off the anger. You can, you can shake off the past. You can shake off the abuse. You can shake off anything that is trying to bury you. You can shake it off. But will you believe that this little one that was born in a cradle, in mud, is on his way to a throne. Is on his way to a throne. And he will be king. And, the, and the, this is interesting. So what is the journey of that? It's important for you to know that. What's the journey? Well, the first journey is the fact that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he ascended, and he's seated at the right hand of his Father right now. Why? Because he's talking about you. He's interceding for you. And his Father says, you stay right on my right side until I put every enemy underneath your feet. But that's not the only place that he is. is. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, his throne is in your heart. Romans 8, I just cannot get this out of my mind. Romans 8 tell, told me that if the Spirit of Christ lives in you, you belong to Jesus Christ. If the Spirit of Christ is, is not in you, you don't belong to him. You can fake religion all your life, but if he, he has to be on your throne... Because that's the path of his throne. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians. Getting a little carried away here. I don't know where I'm at anymore. 
Talking about the throne, listen to this. No, no, we don't need to do that. Ephesians says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's his direction for his throne. Sitting at the Father, interceding on your behalf, his spirit living inside of you, you, you becoming the throne room of God. You becoming the throne room of God. What's that? Yeah, well, we're with Christ. Yeah, yeah. Christ in us, we're with Christ. Absolutely. Why is this important for you to know today? Why did God specifically say, you go today to hear about me? Because of this reason. There's a day coming. There's a day coming in which Christ is going to have another throne. Revelation 19, starting with the 11th. Revelation 19, starting with the 11th verse. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he, judged, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are written crowns, are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his throne and on his thigh he has his name, this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then God just showed me this one too. Then I saw a great white throne, chapter 20, 11, and him who was seated on it. And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. That is the throne that he's headed toward. But today is a day of salvation, people. Today is a day where the baby in the cradle should inspire us with awe and trembling because he came. He got mud slung on him his whole life just like we have. He was misunderstood. He could not be controlled. And so they killed him and put him on a cross. Just exactly as the word of God said. And he arose again from the grave, ascended to heaven, and his throne can be in your heart today. Won't you let him in? Why keep fighting? 
Why keep holding up the bitterness and the anger and the separation and the hatred and all the things that you've been holding on to for so long? Why not let him in? Let him rule. In your heart, let him move from failure in the, in the physical to success in the spiritual in your heart. Let him move from hiddenness of being a king to being king over your heart. It can happen right now, at this moment, if you'll open your heart to him.